Hello and welcome to a Thursday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Stanzial. Chris, throw out your outline. Throw out all your notes. Throw out the script. We are going off the top because after that game last night, everything that we had planned to talk for in the show is now going out the window. What a game. What a bounce back effort. So many things to address as we promised and anticipated but I didn't think we'd be talking about a win. Not only the way that Villanova was able to do it, but Jermaine Samuels leading the way with 29 points. If you missed that game, one, I'm sorry. Two, we're not kidding. Jermaine Samuels had 29 points. And man, just after such a sour three-game losing streak, where for some reason people thought that we wouldn't even make the first four or we'd be sweating out in Selection Sunday, I hope that those fears have now been put to rest and now we can go back to enjoying this Villanova team because, man, that was just such a win on senior night, such high stakes. And, you know, Chris, I'll take it. I know we spent a lot of time preparing, putting together outlines, talking about what we need to fix, but it's all going out the window now. It's all going out the window now. Yeah, kind of good we didn't have an episode on Tuesday because we would have ripped into this team, especially after that Xavier loss. We were saying last week, they do lose to Xavier. It's full-blown panic mode. But you put out a performance like this, and we'll talk about it. We'll talk about the good and the bad, mostly good, especially Jermaine. But you you put a performance like this, you win against the top 10 team at home on senior night, and you kind of step back from the ledge a bit, and you're like, okay, these guys can actually hang with the best. And you know what? Maybe there are problems with this team, but that three-game stretch was probably the worst of it. And now maybe they start to build some momentum. Now you're towards the end of the season, which is kind of what we talked about the past couple episodes. Like, you don't want to be playing bad going into March. So you win this game. Then maybe it spirals into a win against Butler. Then you have a whole week off where this team can finally get its legs back, hopefully, or at least get some semblance of his legs back. Because, man, oh, man, are Eric Pascal and Phil Booth going to turn to dust soon? This is just a great win that hopefully, hopefully catapults this team back into the conversation for Sweet 16, Elite 8, and final four one game at a time though with with the, oh, the yeah, last parts yeah. there <laughs> yeah. we're gonna we're gonna live this one up no for sure i i 100 i'm just trying to look, have a positive outlook because this is what i struggled with most so i will gonna... give you credit though because you know after just being depressed for a week and a half with losing to georgetown dropping one at xavier and just those three losses that have occurred it hasn't been pretty, but now we got a lot of good news to talk about. And there's definitely a lot of good things to unpack here in the 67-61 win that occurred last night at the Pavilion. Shoutouts to the seniors. We got to see Mikhail Bridges come back, which was cool. He got his little senior night tribute. But then we also had the official senior night tributes for Phil Booth, Eric Pascal, Peyton Heck, Joe Cremo, and Tim Delaney. Big shout-outs to those five. But on a night that was dedicated to the seniors, on a night that was dedicated to the old heads, it was actually the sophomore, super sophomore effort by Jermaine Samuels that just completely stole the show. What a game. What a game. We've been begging for him to shoot the ball, start being aggressive, take shots, actually get his. And it seemed like he was completely unrestrained. No leash. No red light, no yellow light. It was green, and it stayed on for pretty much the entire game. And 
Samuels just completely delivered with his 29 points, 10 of 19 on the floor, 5 of 13 from deep, 9 rebounds, 5 of the offensive variety. He did scare me a little bit when he picked up his fourth foul because I was begging, hoping that he would not foul out. And he was able to avoid that, thankfully, because elsewhere, it wasn't so hot. Phil Booth, he had 17 points, but he was 3 of 18 on the floor. Not that efficient. He did have five rebounds, seven very important assists. And then Colin Gillespie and Eric Pascal, they combined for 11 points and a collective 4 of 15 on the floor and 1 of 7 from deep. So not a great showing from the usual leading trio. But it didn't matter because Jermaine Samuels really stepped up to the plate and did not miss on this big opportunity. No, he did not. And this kind of follows up the last game against Marquette where we talked about and everyone kind of noticed it. And this was kind of the start of the whole, does Jermaine have the red light thing? He was left wide open in that first game against Marquette. Not one soul was in the vicinity of him and he was left to do whatever. Usually it was just the fur. It wasn't until the end of that game where he started shooting and actually hitting some shots that got Villanova back into that game. This time they it must have been the same exact game plan because I think Jay was talking about it after the game that he's like, oh yeah, we knew they weren't going to cover him. So we just kind of did the same thing. And that's what happened. So they gave him the go ahead and it worked. And we've been begging for Jermaine to shoot or whatever. And, you know, you, you look at his shot and not exactly the prettiest. He had like that one three where it looked like he's like, he like cocked his elbow weird, but it went in and that's fine. You look at his stat line, five of 13 from deep, 38%. You, you take that. You honestly take that. But I wasn't so much impressed by the shooting. I was impressed by his aggressiveness to drive to the basket. He had what, like two or three and ones, or at least a, a couple more fouls going to the basket to draw some free throws and I know he went four of nine from the line he's got to work on his free throws whatever but the aggressiveness to get to the rim and get to the hole that's this team has been starving for rim attackers to get there with ability to not lose the ball like Eric Pascal has in the past few games or to get stuff at the rim like Phil Booth has in the past couple games like the fact that he's able to get there and either draw a foul or convert and draw the foul is it's just a new dynamic that we haven't seen in, in a while. It was working early on in the year with Pascal and Booth, but that's gone, whether it be fatigue or teams have figured it out, whatever you want to chalk it up to. But now if you get this guy going, it's a whole new game. So it's just great to see that this kid had basically no confidence. He now has the green light and he's attacking. And we, we're like, oh, we want him to shoot, we want him to shoot. And that's great. And if he can do this, it opens up so many more doors for this Villanova offense. It'll create some more shots elsewhere from the perimeter. He can drive in, he can kick out, whatever it may be. And you need this tertiary scoring option because the primary and secondary scoring options aren't exactly lighting up the store sheet right now. So props to Jermaine Samuels. What a freaking game. You could tell from opening tip, Marquette did not respect Jermaine Samuels. He was left wide, wide open. When he drove, he wasn't really, you know, there wasn't really a sense of urgency. But then you see him make one shot. One shot becomes two shots. Two shots becomes three, four, five. And then all of a sudden, he's outscoring Marquette by himself. And then the Golden Eagles start to panic. But you can tell the energy in the pavilion was just rocking. Everyone fed off of it. When you see a teammate, when you see a player who, you know, is timid, has a little bit of maybe a confidence issue. Now, we're not, you know, we're not psychologists, but that seems to be, you know, him dealing with mental roadblocks and getting over them. When you see him being aggressive, just letting loose, going for it, getting hot, making those shots, 
everyone was feeding off of that. He wasn't the only one winning. Everyone was getting hyped for him. The bench was getting hyped for him. The crowd was getting hyped for him. Villanova Twitter at the end of the game said, Nova Nation, vote for your player of the game. Is it A, Jermaine Samuels, B, Jermaine Samuels, C, Jermaine Samuels? Everyone was getting hyped for him. And everyone just fed off of that energy, and it really propelled Nova ahead. Yes, Marquette was there. They they had, they had put up a great fight. They came back after that early hole. Marcus Howard had 25 points. Sam Hauser added 13. They were right there. You look at the box score, and you see them shoot over 40% from deep, 47% on the floor. They absolutely shot the ball way better than Nova did by at least... 10, 15%. But despite this, Nova found a way to win. And we had a lot of questions after that Xavier game asking, what does Nova need to do to turn itself around? What does Nova need to do to finish strong for the rest of the season? And if you look at the questions that we received, we're not going to go break them down one by one, although we usually do. But because of this win, it really changes our routine. It really changes what we had planned for the show. But if you looked at a lot of the questions, a lot of the questions seem to have the same theme. It's that there was an over-reliance on seniors. There was Jermaine Samuels not taking enough shots or not getting the secondary scoring outside of Booth and Pascal or the offense moving too slowly. Some Maybe sometimes there's one pass too many. Sometimes there's one pass too short. And it just seemed like Nova was unable to get into rhythm on offense. What did Nova need to do to basically jumpstart itself? And not only did we see less hero ball, we saw smarter shots. We saw the drive and kick be an effective part. We saw that Nova was able to force turnovers. Granted, some of them were dumb turnovers where Marquette just threw the ball into the third row for no reason. But Nova was able to capitalize, fight on the boards. So many offensive rebounds. They did all the little things right that even when their shot wasn't falling, and most importantly, they when they were cold, they didn't stay cold too long. And I was afraid at the very end when it was such a tight game like this, that Jay was going to take away the green light for Jermaine Samuels and then let Phil Booth or Eric Pascal take over. But we didn't see that. There was a little bit of everyone there at the end. And it wasn't just seeing hero ball from Booth and Pascal, even though it was senior night. We didn't see that this time around for every, because Bay hit a crucial three. Jermaine Samuels was clutched down the end. It was a little bit of everybody. And that was key in terms of fixing bad habits. It was less hero ball. More movement, faster tempo, which I loved the, the pace that Nova was playing. They're really pushing it. And when you do that, you take the thinking element out of it. You just naturally react. And I think that is possibly also what helped Jermaine Samuels too. Because the, the less standing around and thinking that he has to do and just more instincts that just kick in as a basketball player. And also it seemed like the rest of the team was doing well. Granted, Phil Booth and Eric Pascal looked like they were going to collapse at the end, especially Booth. But I love the pace of play. I love the fact that there was more scoring outside of Booth and Pascal, and that came from big game Jermaine. But other than that, a lot of those problems in that three-game losing streak, it seemed to be doing a lot better. Offensively, for sure. Toward the end, I, I do agree with you that everybody kind of got in on the action. I still felt that Phil kind of shot a little bit more than I would have liked. Now, I will say this. He did control the game well at the end. At, toward the end. I thought he brought the ball up well. I thought he was making the right plays. He did have the seven assists, so it's not like he had a completely awful game. I mean, shooting-wise, it was pretty terrible. But in terms of commanding the game from the point and also hitting the clutch free throws when you needed it, because that's been a point of contention for myself, that the free throws just haven't been fallen, especially for Booth and Pascal because of the legs. But 
he was able to hit him late in the game, and I was pretty happy about that. So, yes, the offense was looked a little bit better, but still, I, I still feel that there are a little too many cold spells. And it was mainly specifically highlighted in that Xavier game where they didn't score for what was it, like a nine, 10 minute stretch? And that sunk them. Now, against Marquette, they didn't have that, obviously, but there was still. You know, open the game. They didn't hit a basket for the first five plus minutes. Towards the end of the game, they went cold for about a three, four minute stretch that allowed Marquette to take the lead late in the game before they called their way back into it. So, yes, I do like the fact that they are spreading the ball out a little bit more towards the end, or especially in this one. But the cold spells still are a little concerning for me. But I wanted to go end on a positive. I got to say, you mentioned the shooting percentages for Marquette. 48% from the field, 40% from deep. How the heck did they lose this game when Villanova shot 34.5% from the field and 28% from three? Well, you got to chalk it up to the defense because they forced 18 turnovers. And I know you said a lot of them were unforced, stupid turnovers, but the defense had a hand in that. And also have to mention that the majority of those turnovers for Marquette did come in the first half, specifically the first 10 to 15 minutes. But you gained extra possessions that way. And as a result, you're able to put up more points. Also, offensive rebounding. Villanova had 15, Marquette had only eight. So you're stealing possessions right off the bat there. You're stealing seven possessions there. Um, and then on the turnover battle, you're, you have a plus 11 turnover ra- uh, ratio. That's fantastic. No matter, you know, when you're not shooting well, if you can just get more lottery tickets, so to speak, more possessions, you're going to hit, you're going to convert eventually. So that's how they were able to outscore Marquette in a game like this, where the shooting percentages were just such a uh, disparity between them. Yep, and the other big key, too, was we didn't see it in the Xavier game because when they lost to the Musketeers, it was no surprise that they were ice cold. They were shooting, like, an ugly, like, what, 28% from deep. It wasn't cute. And not only that, for the first 30 minutes of the game, they didn't even get to the free throw line. And overall, they only shot four free throws that entire game. This time around, Nova, even though it wasn't hitting them at a high rate, you know, 18 to 26, just a touch below 70%, They were getting to the line, and that was crucial because when you're not hitting your shots, you at least want to stay aggressive, keep the defense on their toes, make them work, and then hopefully you get to the free throw line. You can see that Marquette was still respecting the pump fakes even when Phil Booth is going ice cold for 3 of 18 on the floor or even when other guys just weren't hitting it on the floor. They were still respecting the shot. They still fell for the pump fakes, put Nova to the line where they cashed in, but as you brought up, I you know you you brought up the numbers for the offensive rebound second chance. Those were huge. The thirty four of their sixty seven points came from either turnovers or second chance opportunities. That's more than half. That's how big it was in that game. So yes, even when they were cold, in the sense that you know a thirty four point five percent field goal shooting percentage isn't hot, and a twenty eight percent clip from deep is nothing to be that proud of as a team. The 34 points that they created, that was big. That was huge. And it's encouraging because when they couldn't hit anything over these last three games, it just seemed like they would just fall to just living and dying by the three, not really getting the free throw line, letting Phil Booth try to save the day. And if he wasn't going to do it, it was like, oh, well, at least we tried. (laughs) Now we see that, you know, Nova's trying to be a little more complete, a little more well-rounded. I love the changes that Jay Wright made. I love seeing Jermaine Samuels go off. I hope that this is the start of a corner being turned for him because we're coming up to March. 
And it seems like Nova always seems to get those out-of-nowhere performances where a player turns it up to a completely new level that hadn't been shown before. And then they start to become a legitimate weapon alongside the leading guys. So if this is the start for Jermaine Samuels, this is going to be great. And you know what? Maybe, you know, he goes ice cold next game. Maybe he only goes three for ten, but now that's another threat that the other team has to now legitimately prepare for. Because I don't think this was luck. We've seen the athleticism. We've seen what he can do when he throws down those posterizers. And it's great that he was able to put it all together finally last night. I hope that he gets to do that moving forward because we're definitely going to need some, especially if Booth and Pascal are going to run 38, 40 minutes a night and hopefully not die. You're absolutely right. And we've been searching for this tertiary option, third third party option for a whole year. We saw a little bit with DCR. We're like, oh, maybe he could be the guy after that, after the Florida tournament. And then he kind of, you know, regressed a bit. He fell off a cliff and then kind of re- returned back to normalcy. We've been saying it with Sadiq Bay for the past few weeks. We're like, oh, you know, he's hitting those corner threes. He's gonna he's been looking great. Then the St. John's game came around and you know, and I know the rest of the team kind of fell apart, but Sadiq Bay hasn't exactly had the best past few games. We had it with Gillespie for a little bit. We're like, oh, he puts up 30 points against Georgetown. Oh, he's the guy. Then he's gone absolutely ice cold since then. We also saw it with Samuels too. He had that little stretch where we're like, oh, he's gaining his confidence back. And then he kind of just went back to, you know, the big time rebounder who would occasionally chip in every now and then. But like you said, if this is the turning point here, it, this will finally open up the door for Villanova's offense to maybe explode a little bit more than what it's used to and maybe prevent those cold spells that we dread every time this team goes out on the court. So yes, I agree. It's nice to see him finally put it all together. We just got to hope that it now continues for a couple games in a row. And like you said, it, he could go cold the next game, but then if he does something similar to this the game after, then it's it's okay. That's fine. But you you got to put a consistent performance together, and we can't really have this like, oh, who's it going to be this time? Who's it going to be this time? It would be nice to know as a fan to just – it would be nice to know as a fan who that third third guy would be. Hopefully it's Samuels, or hopefully it's just anybody, really. But it would be nice to see Samuels build upon this incredible performance. When you look at Nova's offense and you look at the starting five, and Samuels is obviously a part of that, there were four guys you could see who could take a shot. Obviously, Phil Booth and Eric Pascal are most likely going to take a shot over Gillespie and Bay. But we saw this last year. When all five guys are a threat to score, it really changes the way how a defense guards them. Jermaine Samuels, for whatever reason, was being underutilized and only a rebounding guy. And he was given the red light. Even if he was under the basket, had a clear putback, he had to kick it out. He had to pass it out. If he's going to be aggressive like this, everyone has to sign up and be all for it because this is going to be, It not only was it fun to watch, but it really opened up a lot for Nova. There were so many open looks. Granted, they didn't cash in on a lot of them, but I love the ball movement. I love the way that the floor just opened up a ton more when Marquette was like, oh, wow, you know, actually, you know, we got to D up this guy. And not only that, but hopefully the looks that, they couldn't cash in. The wide open ones will drop eventually because theoretically, technically, as a team, they were not hot shooting percentages. And maybe that's the one knock you can put on last night's game. But when you see Nova is able to find a way to win against a, a high caliber team like Marquette, it makes you think, wow, you know, they still got it. They still got it. And that's what winners do. They find a way to win. They couldn't do it in that three-game stretch where they just looked completely unrecognizable. But last night, 
it looked more like the scrappy teams that we'd seen, the very successful ones over the last few years. Yep, scrappy for sure. This team this year, we've seen its high points with that 10-game winning streak, and we've seen its low points with the four, the five, losing skid. But they always seem to hang around against the really good teams. They did it against Kansas. They came back against Marquette a couple weeks ago when it looked like all was lost, and then they were able to pull this one out after having a big lead, kind of giving it back up. Marquette takes a lead, and you come right back and end the game on a 12-1 run. So is that encouraging for the tournament? I don't know. It remains to be seen. I, I say yes, because if you can play well against these, these high-quality opponents, that, those are the teams you're going to be seeing in the tournament, if you can get past the first or second round. But that's a long time out. I will say it does seem that when this team does have its back up against the wall, against these good teams, these really good teams, these ranked teams, they seem to put it all together and at least try to find a way to win. Sometimes it works, like it did against Marquette last night. And sometimes it doesn't like it did against Marquette at Marquette and against Kansas. So I don't know. I I, I feel that they do seem to put it together when they do face quality competition. That's a very good point. It seems that Nova always seems to rise to the occasion. And we're going to have to wait and see if they take this momentum with them going to their next game this weekend. But first, got to give a salute. Got to give a shout out to the seniors one last time. Big ups to Phil Booth and Eric Pascal. I mean, they were there for both the 2016-18 National Championship squads. They are the old heads of the team. Phil Booth, obviously, he was the hero in that 2016 game. Pascal was still redshirting because of the transfer sit out. But also another shout out to Tim Delaney because he hasn't really had the easiest of times at Nova. Double hip surgery. Pretty much his career has just been in jeopardy because of injuries and maybe we're asking what could have been. But hopefully he had a great time at Nova. A great few years. It's always been tough. I've talked about this on the show before. He came in with Jalen Brunson and Dante DiVincenzo. Kind of got forgotten about because of his injuries. And you never know what could have been or what kind of career he could have had. And it sucks that injuries got in the way, but he's got two rings and hoping for the best for him. Joe Cremo, I'll give him credit. You know, I know he's been highly criticized on the show, but I thought he played a pretty solid game last night. He made that three, played pretty solid defense. He was able to get a bunch of charges on Marcus Howard, taking those charges, putting his body in the way, drawing those fouls. And it was great to see him do that. And, of course, Peyton Heck. Shout out to the bench, Bob. Always, always there for the bench, Bob. So we've now played the final game at Finneran Pavilion. And that just leaves one other place to bid farewell to. And that is the Wells Fargo Center. There is one last Wells Fargo Center game. And that is this Saturday at 2 p.m. against the Butler Bulldogs. It'll be the last one before Villanova goes on the road to finish out the regular season down at the Rock at the Residential Center to take on Seen Hall. But before we get to that, we got a rematch with the Bulldogs. This is a team that Nova beat last time out at Hinkle Fieldhouse, 80-72. to And while that score kind of seems pretty close, I don't really remember it being that close at all. I remember Eric Pascal was going off. He was shooting it from deep. Did a great job there. We did a pretty solid job of not letting... Jordan Tucker go off because he was coming in off that scorching game, if you remember. But overall, I mean, you know, it was a nice game for Nova. They had five different players in double digits. I would love to see a repeat performance of that. We're going to be at home. It's not going to be at Hinkle Fieldhouse. There's going to be no Hinkle magic. Chris, we've seen this team before. What's changed? What stayed the same? What can we expect from this Butler team? Yeah, so what stayed the same? Uh, Kamar Baldwin's still pretty good. 
He's averaging 17.6 points per game at this point in the year. Five boards, three assists. He's their do-it-all guy, shooting 44% from the field. He's just a very good player. Some of their other players, Paul Jorgensen stands out as well. Now, last time, we kind of hyped him up because he had such a big performance against Villanova last time in the 17-18 season. When that game happened at Hankel, he went off. This time around, he did not. And it was kind of part of this whole thing with him where he was losing his starting spot, was losing minutes. But things have kind of turned around for him a bit. He's put up some solid numbers in the month of February and the month was very kind to him. However, his last game against Providence only put up two points. So he does still have the the ability to put up points, although he does have the occasional ability to lay a dud. You still got Sean McDermott, who's the resident three-point shooter, shooting over 41% from, from three. And as you mentioned, Jordan Tucker, great scorer, young guy, transfer, you know, the whole deal with him. But lately, he hasn't exactly been the best, especially after the Villanova game. It, his three-point shooting took a big dip, and he only put up over 10 points. I think it was only three times since that Villanova game. So even though he is averaging 10 points a game, it's been few and far between where he's actually been able to contribute solidly on offense. As a team, they sit at six and nine, seventh in the conference. So if things hold serve, it's possible Villanova is going to see them in the Big East tournament on that Thursday matchup. But as a whole, Butler's lost their last two. They kind of gave Marquette a game at Marquette. I think they had the lead at half, but they weren't able to pull it out. Then they ended up losing to Providence this past Tuesday in overtime at home. Not a good look there. They also lost the overtime game to St. John's recently a couple of weeks ago. So they've been all over the place. I mean, six and nine, was, I actually thought they'd be a little bit better than that. Maybe they win their next three, including the Villanova game, to pull the 500 in the conference. But I severely doubt it. I was expecting bigger things from this team. Not, I wasn't expecting them to go off and do bunch of great things but i wasn't expecting a sub 500 season in the conference yeah over the last couple of weeks I, I don't know if the narrative has changed but i had seen that a few different ncaa tournament brackets that actually had them in or had them on the bubble and i don't think that much is true anymore especially with their current back-to-back losses between marquette and providence and then hopefully we'll make that three straight when they come to town on saturday this butler team is strange because like you said i did think that they would be better and i know that they lost keelan martin but i thought that the other guys alongside jordan tucker being eligible this season would have been enough to pick up the slack and maybe make some noise but unfortunately, that hasn't been happening. Hinkle Magic hasn't really been that hot this season, it looks like, in terms of the Big East. I mean, Georgetown, Marquette, Nova, and Providence all came out of it unscathed. And now you have this Butler team who, while Kamar Baldwin is very good, he wasn't very good against Nova. Nova did a pretty good job of shutting him down, holding him to only 11 points. 5 of 14 shooting the last time out, which is not that impressive. But who knows? You know, he's still a good player in his own right. He's selling all around Swiss Army knife. So definitely keep an eye out for him. But the problem with Butler has been their defense. Their defense has just been so inconsistent. They allow teams to go off from long range. They don't really protect the inside well. They don't really force turnovers. They just don't really do a whole lot on defense. And I don't know what Laval Jordan is doing over there. But whatever it is, I guess his thing is we're going to take good care of the ball. We're going to slow the game down as much as we can. And we're just going to be pretty efficient on offense. So as long as Nova can shut them down using its defense, as long as it can get on track and not let them hang around, I don't really see this being a game. I really don't think Butler should be a problem at the Wells Fargo Center. Granted, (laughs) our predictions haven't exactly been the hottest over the last couple of weeks, but I really don't think that this should be a problem. 
Uh, yeah, neither do I. And the fact that Villanova just seems to be playing better at Wells Fargo this year, it, it certainly helps. But it's weird you say that Butler's kind of had like some pretty bad defensive statistics in those categories you mentioned. Kempom doesn't really mind them. In 95th. I mean, look, that's not great by any means, but I, the way you made it sound, you would think it'd be like, 150 or 200 you'd be approaching bottom level they're 95th in adjusted defense like i said it's not the worst but not exactly the best either compared to villanova's it's in the ballpark compared to villanova's so if you want to get a good uh template for that offense adjusted offense they're 44th but i think the thing that's killed this team at least according to kempom is luck now obviously I'm, I'm not sure what goes into that luck factor but they're 290th out of 350 something Division one basketball teams. So they're incredibly unlucky this year on top of just, you know, some poor defense. So yeah, it's, it's been a rough one for them, but uh, I don't think they'll have any luck either going into Wells Fargo. I think Villanova wins that. Yeah. Their defensive efficiency definitely doesn't match up the percentages that they give up. Like for example, for two point shooting percentage, they allow teams to shoot over 51% on the floor inside the arc. And that's only good for 231st out of 353 or did we add a couple of different teams so that's not that hot and then if you look at their three-point defense they're almost touching 200th down there so it's interesting how the offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency are still pretty high i mean they're top 100 but the percentages on the defensive side don't really match up to that but i will say this butler rarely gets to the free throw line if we are going to have a game like Xavier where there's going to be no free throws for the first 30 minutes, we have a problem. If Villanova is not at the free throw line, attacking the basket, or even trying to like capitalize that, because clearly Butler won't. The rate at which they get to the free throw line is not hot. 314th in the country. If Villanova is not going to capitalize on trying to get free points, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I, as long as we are not seeing 30 minutes without a single free throw, I think we'll be in good hands. And as long as Nova locks down defensively, we'll be in good hands. Those are my two keys. Get to the line, shut down Baldwin, and slow those guys down. And we'll be talking about a win on Saturday. But we're going to have to wait and see. I also think Nova should win this. If you aren't going to the Wells Fargo Center, this game is this Saturday at 2 p.m. And it's going to be on Fox. The Fox, not FS1, Fox. Big Boy Network. It's that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop open the mailbag. As always, you can tweet us at SONNPod and leave us your questions. Tweet, ask us anything, we mean anything, and we'll discuss it on the show. You can also leave your questions in the comment section on View Hoops, and it'll find its way to us. This first question is from Fred Rung. Have we come up with a term to describe this year? I feel nauseous with the ups and downs. Chris, how would you describe this year? Hmm, if I had to pick a term to describe the year, ah, I guess I go, I don't know, it kind of feels like the stock market almost. Just don't know what you're going to get, really. Some days, stock's real high. You go on a 10-game winning streak, you feel great. Think this team's going to make a Final Four run again. Maybe even squeak out a national championship if everything breaks right. So you buy high on them. Then the next thing you know, it all comes crashing down. You lose four or five. So your stock's all the way down. You're like, well, sell, 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 get get rid of this. What is this stock? Why, why, do, why do I even have it? But then they rebound nicely for at least one day. And you're like, man, I should have just kept that <laughs> stock. So I'm going to go with the stock market. It, it's not really a term, I guess. It's just more so the vibe I get in terms of unpredictability. 
that's a pretty good one because you anticipate all the different directions that this season can go, and it has gone in a bunch of different directions. But I'm just gonna keep it nice and general, and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna take the math route here. I'm going with Parabola. Uh, started out fine, high up, and then it just dropped and dipped, and then it's back up again, and that's exactly where we are. Back up again, and hopefully it continues to rise. This next question is from B Mules Mules Tavern. Now, in this tweet, it says Travis Reed, and I'm assuming that B Mules here is actually referring to Reed Travis, who was a grad transfer that was on Villanova's radar, but instead of Nova, he ended up going to Kentucky. It sounded like it was down to Kentucky and Villanova, and he picked Kentucky. And then as we saw, we went elsewhere in the grad transfer market, and then we ended up getting Joe Cremo instead. But his question doesn't have to do with Joe Cremo. Given the benefit of hindsight, would you rather Reed Travis over Sadiq Bey? I don't think Sadiq Bey joins the roster if we signed Reed Travis. I phrase this question in hindsight context because nobody saw Sadiq being a starter. If we have Travis, I think this team is Elite Eight worthy. Would you take one year for four? Chris, I don't know about you, but I love this question because I was thinking about Reed Travis the other day. And kind of like a what would have been or what could have been. In the couple of games that I got to see Kentucky in person up close, I love what he was able to do. He's a real great big man, real aggressive, down low, great size, great frame, great on both ends of the court, a solid anchor in the paint. But I don't think, if even if he joined Nova, I don't think that would have stopped Sadiq Bey from joining. I don't think that would have affected anything. Yeah, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I, I completely forgot about Travis. I remember you mentioning him to me back over the summer, like, oh, yeah, they, they have a shot at getting this guy. I look him up. And he's like, oh, stats are pretty good. Stanford guy, whatever. But then I completely forgot about him until the Tennessee-Kentucky game. And I was like, oh, wait, there he is. I forgot he even existed. But, yeah, I guess I don't know if – yeah, I don't really know if that, that would make – if he if him coming would make Bay basically non-existent. I, don't, I, I think he still would have came. He still would have joined the team. I think it was more so – as you said, it was probably more so Travis or Cremo – but to answer the question, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'd rather have Bay for four than Travis for one. I mean, you got to look at the future. And I guess it sounds kind of spoiled, but this team has two championships in the past three years. I think we can punt a year if it meant having long-term su- success just because of how good this team has been for the past couple of years. Yeah, Travis would have definitely been nice because we would have had some continuity in the front court. Seeing how we've kind of tested out of different lineups in the beginning of the year, maybe things would have been a little more controlled with the big man position. But honestly, as much as I love Sadiq Bey, I still think that his play, just the way that he blew up kind of early on and he was kind of this quote-unquote secret weapon, all the different reports from the different captains from Phil Booth and Eric Pascal on how he was playing very well during the offseason. It sounds like that he wouldn't have not only not have been on the team, but he would have definitely had a spot on in the rotation. He probably would have been like one of the first few guys off the bench. It's not like he would have just disappeared. So I don't think that would have really hindered his development in any way. But I guess if you really, you know, in the context of this question, if you really had to choose between Reed Travis for one year and Sadiq Bay for four, you got to go with Sadiq. He's done some great things. He's coming very much, I would say, ahead of schedule compared to initial reports, especially when he first signed on and was kind of one of the late additions that no one really knew about. Most of the focus was on 
Javon Cornerly or Brandon Slater or Cole Swider. And he kind of came at the end there. So he wasn't really as known or didn't really have the time to for the Nova Nation to warm up to him. But honestly, from what I've seen from Sadiq Bey, I'd rather have him for four than just take Travis for one. As much as I like to read Travis's game and what he's done. And from what I've seen when he plays, I'd rather have Sadiq Bey long term. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Travis definitely would have helped this team short term, definitely would have helped this year. I don't know if he makes that much of a difference. Maybe they win an extra game or two with him, but I like how Bay's playing. Like you said, completely forgot that he was even recruited and came on onto the roster and has found the niche playing in the starting lineup. I like his game. I'm going to like it for the next, hopefully, next three to four years and uh, keep it going because he's he's been pretty impressive, all, th- all things uh, considered. Next question is from The Life Aquatic. Matt Gregory, Sanborn, Matthew Gregory, former VU Hoopster, former photographer for our beautiful SB Nation site. He wants to know, why are you afraid to give me the reins? These takes are fuego. I hope he keeps those in the oven. I hope he keeps it in the pot. I hope he keeps it cooking. Because after his earlier appearance on the show a few weeks back, or was that last week? I don't remember, but not so, not too long ago. Yeah, two weeks. Yeah. Uh, pretty. It was pretty good. So you know, he might get the call back. He might get the call back. Yeah, but him coming on the show obviously led to Villanova losing the next bunch of games. So oh, was he? Was luck. he really there? Was he really there before the the losing streak? His first episode was uh, it, it started the avalanche. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, it was on uh Valentine's Day. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Ooh, ooh yeah. Actually, we might we yeah, might have ooh. to. We're we're trying to figure out. We're trying to pinpoint the reason for that losing streak, and there are many, and many things you can look at. And uh, you know, we're gonna have to further evaluate each one. I mean, there was Nova Nationer drinking beer out of straw. There was Bill Finnerin jinxing us at the beginning of the year. Chris Lane jinxing Phil Booth. But we're trying to figure out what was the straw that broke the camel's back and you know we're gonna have to we're gonna have to step back first and evaluate matt gregory's uh position on the show we're gonna switch it up a little bit here and this is from seattle mike J. mike jacobs he wants to know are you team finman or are you team samoa chris w- which side you on well team thinman obviously Chocolate chip mint is like one of my favorite ice cream flavors. It's not the top, but it's a, it's. A, it may, I think it would make the Mount Rushmore of ice cream flavors. So the fact that it's basically that in a cookie is great, and I also despise coconut. So it's a, that's a pretty easy choice. Oh man, oh man. So I told Mike J on Twitter before we even recorded. I was like, oh, you're gonna love my answer, and then he said, you're totally gonna go with Savannah Smiles, huh? I don't know. Have you ever had a Savannah Smile? I've never heard of that one until we brought that up. I was like, what, what, what the hell is no. that? I, I, I Googled it, and I was like, I don't think I've ever seen that in my life. Is that the lemon ones? Uh, yeah, from what I found, yeah. It's like yellow. Uh, I don't know yeah. what the cookie actually looks like, but the box was yellow. Seen the box, never never had one. So I'm actually – I know that Thin Mints and Samoas are the most popular Girl Scout cookies, but I am not a fan of either of them. Trefoils oh, all day, on. or whatever it's called. Trefoils, trefoils, trefoils all day. Oh, man, I could eat that all day. I could eat that all day. That stuff is so good. Trefoils are good. And in the right circumstance, I would probably prefer them over Thin Mints. It depends. Depends. Like, if you got, like, a nice little glass of milk, you know, you could just dunk the trefoils in there. But if you just feel like, I don't know, picking out, I feel like I'd rather go with Thin Mints. But personally, my favorite Girl Scout cookie is the tag-alongs or 
the cookie formerly known as Tagalongs. I don't know. If, are they still Tagalongs still? I don't know. The chocolate oh, peanut butter ones. Which one's that? The chocolate and peanut butter ones. Basically Reese's, but a cookie. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't I, I feel like I've had that, but I it doesn't. I you know as much as I love peanut butter, that one doesn't really. I don't really remember that taste very well. Oh no, but, it's it's the best. You you should get yourself a box. <laughs> have you ever had the s'mores? It's kind of newish. I think it came out like last year or two years ago. That one is pretty good too. No, I haven't. I gotta I gotta look them up. Is this is it really Girl Scout cookie season already? I can't uh, believe it. If it is, I, I missed the order form because I, I would usually go in on some trefoils, chefoils, whatever it's actually called. To answer Mike's question, I know I, I don't like coconut, and I'm not a fan of coconut, but there's something about Samoa's. I think it tastes actually pretty good. And I'm not a fan of Thin Mints. You know, my, my whole thing with mint and chocolate is, you know, why, why would I why would I just put toothpaste in my mouth? Why would I have sweet toothpaste or why would I have, like, mouthwash? Like I'd rather you know just have I have an actual dessert. Sometimes you know if I'm in the mood for like mint chocolate chip ice cream, but I would actually have to like be in the mood for it, and I wouldn't be able to have like too much of it, like a whole cup I couldn't do, or like a whole cone. But um, I'm gonna go for Mike's for the sake of Mike's question. I'm gonna go Team Samoa, but it's tree foils all day. Tree foils all day. I'm gonna have to look out for Savannah Smiles, but based on his answer, I. I Assuming that's probably one of the least popular ones. Yeah, I, I I'm kind of curious though. Yeah, I, I've seen the box once or twice. Never, never realized that was the name though. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, you can please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. We do want to announce that. So, as I mentioned last week about server maintenance. We have signed a deal with Vox Media. We are going to be a part of their podcast network. And there's going to be a migration. I don't want to give the full details yet. I will totally announce on Twitter and on View Hoops. And then also on the next episode. So you know where to find the State of the Nova Nation. Because we will have to migrate. We will have to move. But it's going to be nice. It's going to be popping. We're going to talk a little more in depth about it once we've completed the move. We may or may not have an episode on Tuesday just so we can get this done and out of the way. But when we are back, we're going to explain a little bit in more in depth about it. Big shout outs to Podomatic. They've been our home for the last two years, three years, two and a half. And also big shout outs to YouTube back in the day for being the inspiration because we started out as a not so hot video show, came back as a podcast. Slowly built our way up, and I guess people want us to join a network now, Chris. We I, I don't know if this means we've made it. Going somewhere, I guess. Someone likes us. But we are excited to make the move, and we'll have more on that next time. So keep an eye out for that. Keep an eye out for any potential moves. We'll be moving over to Megaphone. That's the name of the new service. New server. I don't know. It's it's their rules. But it's, it sounds like pretty good stuff. Uh, we're excited to collab um, we're, there's going to be a bunch more things for you as listeners that we're going to talk about more next time. But in the meantime, as always, please check back at View Hoops every day, all day, 24-7, 365. We're just pumping out content. Come join the comment section. Come join the party. It's a fiesta. It's more than a fiesta. It's a never-ending celebration. Follow View Hoops on social media. You can do so on Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at erepay 5 and I'm still off the grid, so follow the pod, follow View Hoops, follow Eugene. Nova Nation, have a good weekend. 
We'll be back at it next week. Take care.